Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome to episode 14 of the Quiet Mark podcast. I'm your host, Simon Gosling, and Quiet Mark is the independent international approval award program associated with the UK Noise Abatement Society Charitable Foundation. It encourages companies worldwide to prioritise noise reduction within the design of everyday machines and appliances and find solutions to noise problems to benefit health and well-being. It's reported that app usage has surged 40% during the pandemic, reaching an all-time high of over 200 billion hours during April 2020. However, COVID-19 has dealt a devastating blow to many sectors and the app economy isn't immune. Travel, hospitality and ride-sharing apps have all been profoundly negatively affected by the lack of travel and normal daily activity. Whereas video conferencing, collaboration software, streaming entertainment, fitness and wellness apps have seen booms in recent months. With this being our first episode of 2021, we thought we'd pick up on that new year, new you health and fitness vibe and do something to promote the well-being benefits of sound walking. We've spoken previously on this program about the quietening of the planets during lockdown, and we've also discussed the benefits of improved acoustics in the built environment. But what about improving our outdoor soundscapes? Well, on this episode, I'll be talking to three guests whose companies and their products and services help us to enjoy sound walks and who gather information and data to create change for better, calmer cities. So let me start by giving you a brief introduction to our guests, Renata Zhenchnig and Michiel Hausman from Soundtrack City and Grant Waters from Tranquil City. After she graduated in theatre, film and media studies at the University of Amsterdam, Renata Zhenchnig made a career as a theatre director. In her documentary and mostly site-specific theatre performances, she worked with participants from outside theatre and presented their own personal stories. In 2002, Renata got involved in the field of sound art. She made some highly acclaimed sound walks and sound installations in public spaces in collaboration with sound artists. In her sound works, she uses voice, environmental sounds and composed sounds to add new layers to reality. In 2009, she formed Soundtrack City to explore and foster the sound walk in urban settings as an art form. Soundtrack City invites artists from different backgrounds, architects and urban planners to work together. Currently, Zhenchnig is working on Urban Sound Lab, a long-term participatory sound project in Amsterdam Zuid. Inhabitants from different neighbourhoods are activated to listen to their living environments to get aware of their relationship with the world through sounds. Together with sound artists and writers, participants work on their listening experiences and create an online sound map with their neighbourhood recordings and stories. Michiel Hausman is an artist, researcher and independent curator based in Amsterdam. Together with Renata Zhenchnig, he is the co-founder and co-director of Soundtrack City, a non-profit, artist-led organisation engaged in research and development of new collaborative artistic practices concerning sound and the urban milieu. Soundtrack City develops forms of media art and new listening practices, initiates participatory research projects with local communities and produces sound walks with and without headphones. Founded in Amsterdam in 2009, Soundtrack City is now active in Amsterdam, Rotterdam, Istanbul and Berlin. Grant Waters is CEO and co-founder of Tranquil City, an environmental data company whose mission is to help everyone lead healthier and more sustainable lives in cities. Their work in creating multidisciplinary solutions that tackle the very human problems of living and thriving in big cities combines big data, 
local knowledge and public co-creation. Grant is an experienced acoustic consultant also working for Anderson Acoustics and has worked on many prestigious architectural and soundscape projects that push a new way to approach acoustic design. At Anderson Acoustics, Grant has also worked very closely with QuietMark's own acoustics analysis team since 2017. Welcome to the show, Renata, Michiel, and Grant. Thank you for having us. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. We're doing this recording on the 6th of January, 2021. We're all experiencing lockdown of some form or another. So for the benefit of the listeners, starting with you, Renata and Michiel, whereabouts are you? And then the same question to you, please, Grant. We are in Amsterdam and we are in our office. Uh, We are not locked down at home, but we have the privilege to commute uh, to our office uh, by bike or or even walking. <laughs> Appropriately <laughs> enough. Grant, whereabouts are you? So I'm at home. I'm in uh, Forest Hill in South East London. And when you say commute, I just think of, oh God, I miss that. <laughs> <laughs> what was commuting for you, Grant, before working from home? That was a mix, a bit of a train, a bit of walking, a bit of uh, cycling, getting outside, which is obviously the topic of the talk. Absolutely. And on that, in a previous episode, I was talking to a lady called Marcia Jenneth Epstein, who is a musicologist and historian who is a lecturer also at the University of Calgary. And she had written a book called Sound and Noise, A Listener's Guide to Everyday Life. And she's about to have a sabbatical. And I asked her what she would be doing during her time off. And one of the things she said she wanted to do was do some sound walking. And this was a a bit of a new one to me. And also, with her class of students who are mainly in their late teens and early 20s, she sometimes instructs them to go on sound walks where they're encouraged to just listen to nature. And many of them turned to her and said that this was the first time that they had done that. They've never been on a walk where they didn't have earbuds or were looking at a phone or in touch with technology of some sort. And she found that amazing and they really enjoyed going for walks and listening to nature. And obviously, the reason I've brought you three together, and thanks again for appearing on the show today, is that you all do something that promotes sound walking. So let's discuss that. And starting with you, Michiel and Renata, tell us about your company, what it does and how it promotes the activity of sound walking, please. We, we started in uh, 2009, uh, actually, not with the sound walking, but with walking with uh, half open earphones. Uh, so we provided the walkers with a sort of extra layer to the city, either in the form of pure sounds or with some voices added or instructions how to uh, proceed, how to walk. And these walks were done with iPods in that time. Nowadays, everybody has a smartphone, so these walks are more, yeah, sort of do-it-yourself exercise to explore the city. But after a few years, we found out that the public was always very attentive to the actual sounds in the city. So when they put off their earphones, they always said, well, this is amazing. Now I'm really listening to the city and the city is beautiful. And I, I never did that. What sort of things were people reporting when they were saying this? They were reporting very tiny, subtle sounds where they never noticed. 
that they said these sounds attached us to our environment. So it's a sort of feeling at home or feeling at home and not being at home, but feeling at home in the city through these sonic experiences. On your Twitter, which is at Soundtrack City, the first line on it says, who has the right to decide how our urban environments should sound? Listening to cities with citizens one sound walk at a time. That sounds almost quite political. Is there a political motive or mission behind Soundtrack City? Yeah, actually there is. Uh, we, we think that, the, well, the users or the, the inhabitants of the city, they should have a say in how, how their environment uh, sounds. And most of the time people feel, well, powerless about these aspects. Mm-hmm. They, they, they almost... Mm-hmm every time speak out about uh, noise or annoyances in in the city and never about what is actually beautiful. So we try to shift the perspective and also keep their attention on beautiful aspects of the sonic environment. And that's why we we say one sound walk at a time, because yeah, the sounds, they're transitions, they're ever-changing, so you, you should go out and explore it and then you can uh, form an opinion about it and yeah, be a real citizen and think about how your city should sound. That's interesting. And what we always do is a preparation call before we do our interviews. And you were talking about a major square within Amsterdam where you had taken a group of people to listen to the square. The square is called Meester Visserplein. Mm-hmm. It's called after a, a, a major from Amsterdam. It's right in the middle of the city, on the border of the, the old city. But the square is almost never used by by people walking. Mm. Only by cars. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a major uh, drive-through uh, and a hub. Uh, so there, there are thousands, ten thousands of cars going through. But the the city decided to make it a a place where you can be. So the design of the square was recently changed, but nobody used this design. And we thought it is worthwhile to find out what is the reason. And we had a hunch that this had to do with the, the sonic qualities of the, of the space. And this was a research uh, a project called Crowdsourcing Mesa Visselplein. And yeah, that says it all, eh? crowdsourcing. Mm-hmm. Where we asked the people in the neighborhood if they wanted to research the, the sonic qualities of the square with us and redesign it from a sonic perspective. We invited 20 people. 20 people. We walked, we walked with 20 people. Mm-hmm. Uh, these were 20 sound walks recorded these sound walks and also the interviews afterwards. Mm-hmm. And then we had... We invited an architect, two a, workshops. A few workshops yeah. where we redesigned the, the square from a sonic perspective. Now, talking of squares, one of the things you told me about it was that there were square plant pots which weren't helping the noise in that square as well. Isn't that true? Yeah, yeah. The, the square pots... They're, they're two meters by two meters, so quite big. Mm-hmm. They had a detrimental effect on the on the, yeah, the acoustic quality because 
all the traffic noise is amplified and reflected once again. So you are in a sort of mist of, of sound and you cannot orientate yourself. When they had used round pots, that would, be, would have been better. Were the square pots replaced with circular pots? Not yet. But uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> we organized a symposium about the findings of this project and uh, we filed a report with the, the, the city and we, we had different outcomes. Also uh, an exhibition in the architecture center, which was opened by the head uh, planner of uh, Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. So there was definitely some uh, exposure yeah. and, and really interest. But how to implement uh, this? This was meant to be a sort of proposing a new method for city planning. So not starting from the visual aspects, but from the, the, the sonic aspects. And this is so new for planners. So I think we have to push them again and ho hope to really implement this. Most of the time, these acoustic aspects, they pop up afterwards. And mm. then they have to repair it. And this is very costly. So when they do it beforehand, it will also uh, yeah, be uh, more cheaper. Do you now offer consultancy services so that these mistakes can be avoided in future city planning? I think there's a, a lot of knowledge within consultancy mm. Uh, acoustic consultancy services, but they they don't get the right questions. And most of these firms work for indoor spaces and not so much for outdoor spaces. Outdoor spaces are mostly modeled, so they they get an assignment to to model a, 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 and it's about decibels. It's like you, you go to a restaurant and you taste a meal, but you only describe it in uh, temperatures mm. and, and not, uh, not about uh, yeah, how it tastes. Grant, you've been listening patiently yeah. in the wings there. Tell us a bit about... Um, Tranquil City, and when you've been listening to uh, Renata and Michiel there, I should imagine there's a few parallels. Yeah, there definitely is. You know, it's lovely to know that there's people in different cities doing similar things and with the same intentions and hopefully to create a positive impact. It's nice to meet you, Grant. It's lovely to yeah. meet you guys too. So yeah, we I, I run a company called Tranquil City. We started in 2016, uh, really on the as an experimental project to, to question why our city is generally perceived and experienced as being noisy, busy, polluted and, and bad for us. And is there, you know, when we start to question that, why is that always the case? Uh, why is it the case that we don't live in environments that are, are good for our well-being and support healthy lifestyles? So if we question what it really means to live in a city and say, well, what does being tranquil mean in a city? It's a contrasting aspect of if you're in the city, can you be tranquil? Uh, so what we did is we posed that question and posted that out to, to start a campaign on Instagram where people can share their experiences through the hashtag Tranquil City London. And what that did is start the conversation really about what it does mean to be tranquil in a city environment and the fact that it is very much uh, possible here and now and not a future thinking no, aspiration. What also it brings out is that subjectivity. And um, 
how different people feel different in different spaces and, and interpret the word tranquility differently. Uh, and what we started to do was to walk with people in new areas, try and discover tranquil spots and, and pathways in areas that we wouldn't necessarily consider to be tranquil. And it really grew into something that we really enjoy conversing with people about what it really means to live in the city and to live in it well. And one of those key aspects is is being conscious of the environments that we're inhabiting and experiencing. Uh, and one of those key aspects of tranquility is is the sound environment, which is I work as an acoustic consultant as well. So I'm a little bit biased towards quiet environments. <laughs> Tell me something. Uh, London is a huge city. I think the population is between 9 and 10 million. Is tranquility a privilege for the wealthy? Uh, there's definitely factors that prohibit people from lower incomes and and whatever demographics could be limited by those incomes as well, uh, to live in environments that are more polluted and, and not as good for us. And that's one thing that is our main mission. It's how do we ensure that everyone has access to these good, uh, healthy, and quiet and tranquil spaces, because everyone deserves to live in these spaces and have the right to live with their families in, in healthy spaces, not just people who can afford to move out of the city. And yeah, that's a question that we always uh, come across is why do we grow up and once we maybe made a bit of a name for ourselves and careers if we're lucky enough to do so move out of the city and and sort of settle down there why can't we um, live in a, a healthy space in the city I think everyone has the right to do that and what we try and do is, is try and democratize the information on environmental quality in a way that everyone can understand and, and take action from and that's really our main mission it's it's how do we ensure that everyone has those tools to understand what environmental quality and poor environmental quality where it is and those factors and what they actually mean. You know, you mentioned decibels. It's a very, very hard concept uh, for most people to grasp just because of the way it works in terms of a logarithmic scale, the way that it's, you know, we're obviously focused on visual learning and understanding things um, and taught, the way we're taught perhaps excludes some of those sonic aspects and um i think that has a big you know big learning curve but it's something that everyone as we dig deeper and sort of be a bit more conscious of of the environments that we spend time in really uh, enjoy noticing the sound aspects and as you said uh Mikhail and renata it's, it's about the positive why do we focus on the negative as an acoustic consultant, I'm very focused or uh, aware of the industry focusing on reduction of noise. Mm-hmm. But what, it, what we try and do is, is everything we do is focused on what is positive. Let's ignore the negative, not in a, you know, bury your head in the sand kind of way, but in a way that just flips it on its head and says, well, the city can be tranquil. It can be quiet. It can be good for us. Let's try and focus our efforts and our attention on those aspects, which I think when we do a lot of our public work and engagement, it's just something that comes out so strong. People say, yes, I really need that sort of mindset shift. Um, yeah, and, and maybe uh, at this moment with the, the COVID lockdown, people understand you even better because they experience the, the quietness or the... Absolutely. I think, yeah, yeah definitely even myself. You know, we're all realising that it doesn't have to be that this way, that we... We have experienced that it's, it's purely a behaviour change thing, really. Obviously, for longer term, it has to be infrastructural change to make it to make mm-hmm. it sustainable and, and for us to all live a lives that we, we want to do. Uh, but 
but really it is about our behavior and it's about how how our behavior can really change things and by making small changes regularly that affects that improves our health and it can also improve the cities as a whole and hopefully the people you love and know who live in the city with you and that's again going back to the root of this 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 citizen engagement it really is has a massive impact in terms of how we behave in the cities and, and the environments that we, we create collectively. There's a part on Urban Sound Lab website which has the sentence, how do you experience a quieter city or a silenced city? And it goes on to say, Amsterdam is normally filled with noise. The corona crisis has changed that. Few or no people on the streets, shops closed, much less traffic, hardly any planes coming overhead. The soundscape of the city has completely changed. Soundtrack City is the organisation behind Urban Sound Lab, therefore makes a city-wide appeal. How does the city sound in times of corona? Please, Renata and, and Mikhail, tell us more about that appeal. You got people to submit sounds to info at urbansoundlab.nl. Yeah, we got a lot of uh, reactions Mm -hmm. and uh, people um, sent us audio files and descriptions of what they experienced. And that was, uh, yeah, very exciting to hear. What gave you the idea to put out that call? You did it in March, which was right at the beginning. I think it was a a clever thing to do um, at the beginning. One of the the first weeks, actually. Yes. It was our own experience. I was handicapped. I had a fracture and I was walking uh, daily to uh, to work and suddenly there was no traffic. And I thought, well, this is something I've never encountered. And there must be more people in the city who think uh, suddenly, what do I hear? So this is this was actually the, the trigger to put out this call. And we we were indeed amazed by the response and we still grappling with the results and Renate is trying to make a, a podcast uh, about it. Yeah, That's about uh, Corona sounds. So I interviewed a lot of people about their experiences, people from different neighborhoods and different, uh, how do you say that, people who are, for example, involved in tourism. There are no tourists anymore in uh, in Amsterdam. So it's very interesting to talk with that kind of people about uh, their experiences. Uh, people who lived uh, next to a very busy road, uh, which is not busy anymore. Um, people telling about uh, about the zoo. Oh, yeah, uh, that- no, a lot of people who went to the gym before, before mm-hmm. the COVID, uh, couldn't go there anymore because uh, it was closed. So they started to jog in the city. And one of the people told me, uh, I went out in the morning at about uh, six o'clock. And then I heard sirens and crazy sounds. And I thought, <laughs> my God, there yes, must be a terrible accident and then he found out that it was the sound of the gibbons in the amsterdam zoo (laughs) yeah that's very nice incredible it was five kilometers away yeah so it it was unique that you could hear this yeah you could hear it because between his home and the zoo there's a very busy road 
and there was no traffic anymore. So that was his chance to hear the gibbons. When you experience those responses and, and collecting them, or reading through them through, mm-hmm. how has the general mood of obviously it were not in ideal circumstances that we experienced this quiet city? And um, I've sort of done some thinking, and, and we've written a sort of few pieces on it that. You know, we're very much talking about how the sound makes us feel. But how does it make us feel in the, in this context? Because it's quite eerie, really. Yeah, in right. Terms of having a city that isn't as, with no people. And, it, you know, yeah. it's, a, it's a lovely thing to experience. And I've experienced it in, here in London. And it's great to sort of, the novelty of going out and thinking, wow, how beautiful is it without the dominance of noise and traffic? But how does that balance with the, with people sort of experiencing and dealing with the, a lot of people really like it. Um, mm. The city is much uh, quieter, but there are also a lot of people who really miss the action. Mm. I spoke to a woman and she said, uh, well, um, at the moment, Amsterdam has nothing for me to... I, I can't do anything in Amsterdam because all the cafes are closed and when I go to the city center there are no people so I really miss that another aspect uh, which is quite interesting is that a lot of people work at home and they sit at home and look around in their houses and thought yes let's renovate the house so uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of people building had, activities had, had, yeah. Uh, yeah, had problems with their neighbors <laughs> who made a lot of noise. Yeah. It was interesting looking on your website, uh, Michiel and Renata, uh, where people have submitted their information about the sounds that they're experiencing in Amsterdam. And the first one, uh, which was written on the 21st of May 2020 by a lady called Camilla in Amsterdam, I listened to that recording and she says what remained with the disappearance of all these predominant noises was a deep hum, an inescapable hum, a persistent murmur, heat pumps, air treatment installations, central heating boilers. The city centre has slowed but surely become one continuous machine. And I listened to that recording and was kind of alarmed at how, even though Amsterdam was certainly quieter, it nevertheless was producing quite a lot of noise. Yeah, yeah, right. These, these noises were masked by the, by the traffic. Yeah, actually... At the moment, there is a big infrastructural uh, project going on in Amsterdam at the south south axis. This is a big uh, business district, mm-hmm. and they're going to put the the, the ring, the highway, mm-hmm. underground. Underground. But, yeah, yeah. It will be a tunnel and a, a park on top. But we say there are such huge air conditioning uh, machines on top of the buildings. So this will be uh, the the soundscape, the new soundscape. Yeah. And will this be better? That's a very interesting interesting, question. That's an interesting problem that you got. I think because a lot of those those, uh, services are designed against what is normal background sound levels and they design just beneath them so then you don't necessarily perceive them as uh, as dominant but yeah. when you do eradicate all the 
the dominance of traffic noise, then they become apparent and there's little you can really do or have to do respectively, at least in the, in the UK in planning. In fact, one of our previous guests, Mahmoud Alamir from Adelaide University, had done a study which looked at the sound of wind farms. And he was saying that even though in terms of decibels, wind farms were quieter than the noise of traffic, they were nevertheless perceived by uh, the public as more irritating. He said that the wind farm could be heard two kilometres away from the wind farm. And he also said that because the sound was constant... He said, with traffic, there's variations in the rhythm and variations in the volume. But with a wind farm, it's a constant measure that you're hearing. And he said that actually they were, there was a discovery that wind farms were, were, were quite irritating for the public to hear. And this is a, definitely a concern that these air conditioning units on top of a, a tunnel might, uh, might cause. And they may need to be masked by trees or or nature of some sort to just sort of block out that sound from reaching the public on either side of that freeway. Yeah, yeah right. And with these wind farms, there's also the the thing that it's partly infrasound. So sounds you hardly perceive with your ears, but you feel people get really disoriented when they have this hum. And they don't know from which direction it comes. Grant, on your website, tranquilcity.co.uk, there's an area which talks about apps and the technology. And it says, apps that offer healthier and eco-friendly travel and lifestyle options are on the rise because of increasing environmental health risks, inequalities and public concern. Tell us a bit more about what you're doing in relation to applications and how that's encouraging and helping people find quieter routes and quieter walks. Yeah, sure. So... You know, following when we started the project, asking about what tranquility meant and crowdsourcing those perceptions and opinions, we wanted to also use our environmental consultancy knowledge to to match that to those perceptions and, and trying to give people a bit more of an easier way to understand environmental quality. So what we did was we pulled all big data on air quality, on noise, on the amount of green space, water areas and other environmental factors. Um, all together in one place and matching it with with the sort of human scale, how people perceive that. Our mission is really about combining the two. It's about bringing and the power of big data and how we can map whole cities for certain environmental parameters and bring it to a resolution where people can really um, make personal changes even. So what we have done is create a database that does just that and we integrate uh, that data into into new apps and services. So we have an API and data packs that allow developers to do that. The drive for that is to say we can create one app that reaches a number of people, but if we can use this data uh, and democratize it, so thousands of apps uh, reaching millions, uh, if not billions of people mm. um, can use this data, then we can encourage that behavior change on mass, which is you know, how do we encourage short journeys where people usually hop in a car from one sort of town to the next or just, you know, five, 10 minute journey and make it walkable. That can significantly reduce the number of cars on the roads and hopefully even avoid uh, pushing roads underground, which seems great. But I guess the issue is you've still got car usership in cities, which isn't really needed when you think about the majority of short short journeys and how do we encourage people to, to walk and cycle. So our hypothesis is that if we can 
democratize this data and get it into sort of public domain in, in many different ways, people can interpret it and use it in the ways that they, they want to and hopefully get a lot out of it in terms of positive aspects, encouraging them to be more active, encouraging them to experience better environments and being able to choose them. Are we saying that there's a potential then that when we click on our uh, Google Maps and we choose whether we're going to drive, walk or cycle, we might one day see an option for a quiet walk somewhere? Exactly that. So yeah, yeah we're working with some developers to, to do that. We have an example in a great walking app called Go Jauntly, where you can see how our data is being used in London to create an A to B route or a loop. So that's a great way for, for people who are trying to find new walks for this new lockdown, uh, at least in London, where you can use that app and, and use our Tranquil City Index data to find healthy, uh, green and sort of hopefully tranquil loop around from your, for your home or your workplace if you still get to go. Now, you've been working with communities and campaigners and volunteers for the past few years, Grant. You've even put your sort of findings uh, and your mission down in a, in a manifesto, a downloadable manifesto on your website, which asks wow. the question, what is a track? <laughs> I know, but uh, it does say on there, it says 10 actions to help build a tranquil city. Now, I like the sound of this. And if I may, I'm just going to quickly read a couple. Number one, allow yourself time to get outside, wander take notice and breathe. Number two, when we need some quietness, seek out tranquil space not too far away. Three, put away your phone and find a tranquil route to your destination. Four, walk all the way. Five, observe the beauty of nature, the impermanence of things. Number six, sit in a place that feels good to you, regardless of whether it's expected. Number seven, go out and tend to nature. Number eight, Go out and explore your neighbourhood by yourself or with friends. Nine, consider whether you need a car. Well, I got rid of my car in November 2019 and I don't miss it. So there's the answer to that one. And number 10, number 10 in the charts, ladies and gentlemen, is get involved with plans for your neighbourhood. I like the look of this uh, manifesto, Grant. Um, how did you put that together? We like to live by... Uh the rules that we sort of, well, I guess we're figuring out how we like to live in cities ourselves. And this is a, this was a great way to, to sort of consolidate after working on Triangle City for a number of years and what it really means and what it, what we really believe is the way that we are striving to live ourselves as well, a healthier life in the city. And to get them down on paper was a really lovely exercise that we, we did together. And a lot of them sort of really do hit home to me when I, when you, hear them read back that um, they're very important from how I live in the city and how I feel like I um, am learning to live well in it. One, for example, is Walk All The Way, which uh, we laughed about on our pre-call yesterday, yeah. where uh, we sort of encourage people to, to walk all the way and surprise their friends or whoever they're going to see by saying, how did you get there? Oh, I walked. What? Yeah. Why not? Because in theory, it's probably only a couple of kilometres or maybe a few miles away. And through lockdown, when we you know trying to avoid public transport, uh, just for the sake of that, you know, being used for key workers, not necessarily me trying to get my exercise, I did walk away, uh, all the way, and it was a really lovely experience. Just to be, you know, you're kind of forcing yourself to do it, but you get, I got a lot out of it, and now I enjoy doing 20k walks around the city. And um, it's something that we wrote down, and we believe that's true. But then when we had it written down, we very much are trying to live by it as well. And I think that. That's as much as you can ask for from a manifesto, I guess. After the uh, the lockdown, I remembered saying to 
my co-founder, Ben uh, Warren, you know what? Most of the things in the manifesto still stand very strong, even in after the lockdown, after the whole world has changed. And I was thinking that's yeah, this is as good as, uh, as as you can get it, I guess. You got my vote there, uh, Gron. That's very good. <laughs> and on the Urban Sound Lab website, there's an area, uh, Mikhail and Renata, where you're allowing people to create a profile and upload sound so that you can, as it says on your website, put your sound on the map. Tell us about that. Urban Sound Lab developed a map and we are testing it right now. It's not uh, completely okay. finished. And on the map, you can upload a sound, your favorite sound or a special sounds. And you can upload also a photo of the location and describe the sound and connect it to emotions. We had a cluster of emotions. Together with the community, we, we picked certain emotions a lot of people feel. So you can... When, when a lot of people have uploaded their sounds and, and stories, you can filter. Filter for tranquility or filter for what are the feelings? Uh, hectic. Hectic. Or, uh, uh, lovely. Ugly noise, lovely. Uh. So you, you get uh, connections between people who separately uh, upload, made an upload. And we hope to, to generate a discussion about what makes makes a place uh, sound-wise. You know, going back to what you were mentioning before about having the right words to describe sound and how that makes you feel, it's, it's, it's starting to yeah. create those bridges and or reconnect those bridges that, that a lot of us perhaps don't use every day. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's trying to generate a, a sonic literacy with the people, but also with professionals. recorded a conversation where you had two microphones in operation one was recording a conversation through a city or a walk through a city but the other microphone was set was it was it five meters away so that you could hear the city that was being conversed about was is that right yeah that's right this was in the frame of uh, crowdsourcing my official plan where we did these 20 sound walks mm -hmm. and we uh Separate with, with everybody? Yeah, we, we walked with, F, with every person uh, another walk. But yeah, we made two recordings, one of the, the soundscape uh, while walking, mm -hmm. and one uh, we recorded the, um, what the, the people said about it. Okay. So we constantly asked them, what do you hear? Here. And they talked about what they hear and what it meant for them. So this, this was really quite impulsive on the moment. And after these walks, we had a conversation in a quiet space at their homes or, or in a cafe. And we reflected with them on the walk hmm. about the temporality of the sounds. Or, uh, so then they could really get into it. Sounds like a lovely um, experiment to see, have a conversation also what the, the people are experiencing at the time in terms of the soundscape. And when we were mentioning about how we speak of and express how we're feeling because of a sound environment, what I'd be really interested in is if you can also see a change in the way that we converse and how we, what we're, what we're talking about because of this, 
of the sound environment? How is that back and forth? How is that sound environment affecting our behavior? That's something I'm really interested mm -hmm. in too, just like a long-term sort of thinking is, is if we do change the soundscape of the city, then what are the behavioral aspects that it changes in itself, not just that our impact yeah, as a change in it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Talking about the future design of the city and the impact that this might have, Norman Foster, of course, is one of the UK's most famous uh, architects. And he was talking about some of the differences that pandemics create. He talked about the fact that in London, the reason we have the embankment is due to Spanish flu. The embankment was built to make the efficiency of losing sewage and pumping sewage out of the city into the river so that, so that it went to sea. The embankment was part of that renovation and of course that helped to get rid of spanish flu but it also years later became a feature of the south bank being one of the most popular tourist destinations in london and he talks about pandemics transformations of cities and one of the things that he's written in a report recently is he showed roads very much like the road that i live on which is a very much a typical london street it's terraced housing and in the road that i live in two-thirds of the road are used for cars. So there's parking on the left and there's parking on the right. And the centre of the road is where the traffic passes. And there's always arguments in my street because it's only wide enough for one car and it's not one way. So you can imagine the chaos that causes. But what Norman Foster is predicting is that actually we will have trees and plants down the centre of our streets, car ownership will be reduced because people will hire zip cars and actually because we're not commuting so much, car ownership is going to reduce. And his forecast was this lovely image of, like I say, trees down the centre of the road where cars currently drive, but on the left and right, there being cycle lanes and walking lanes. This mm -hmm. is Norman Foster's vision of the future. And uh, it sounds to me like quite a bright future if we see our residential streets being transformed in such a way. That's an aspiration that a lot of cities are working towards, which is, if you're familiar with the sustainable development goals uh, and sort of prioritising how cities are going to be in the future. And one thing about that environment in terms of having trees and a healthy environment to be in is very much an incentive to encourage more walking and more cycling, which again is just an exponential growth in the number of people who are reducing car use and, and obviously that and the, the environments that it results in so quieter hopefully cleaner uh, and safer yeah. environments there, there is a neighborhood in the south of amsterdam where cars may not park anymore mm. so yeah. you have very quiet but very empty <laughs> neighborhoods no, no. Uh, the the parking spaces are transformed to plants beds yeah. and parking spaces for cycles so the pedestrian zone is finally free to, to walk because most of the time in Amsterdam, the pedestrian, uh, the small pedestrian roads are blocked mm. by parked uh, bicycles, which is of course a <laughs> <laughs> an Amsterdam problem. It's an Amsterdam problem. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> yeah it's a good problem to have. Yeah, yeah. but uh, the people in this neighborhood they uh, revolted sort of because mm. there was a very big parking Park garage. Garage, yeah, a yeah. big uh, public garage, but it was wasn't used. It was empty. Yeah. And they said, well, why can't all these cars in our neighborhood park in this big cellar? And 
so they they blocked their roads and said, well, we're going to transform these roads in into uh, livable streets. And this happened last year, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, well, the project is not uh, finished. Eh? No, no. It was. Uh, they worked together with the neighborhood, the uh, planning department, planning department of the city of Amsterdam. But mm -hmm. then they invited people to plan and design their own street, but that didn't ha happen yet. <laughs> so <laughs> we are very <laughs> still waiting, uh, waiting for the, for the final, final design. Eh? Design, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which uh, hopefully will uh, happen. <laughs> yeah, but it's a nice start. Yeah, it's very nice. So in London, we've we've also got um, there's quiet streets that have been shifted as a result of, of of the COVID pandemic. So we call them low traffic neighbourhoods. So there's lots of areas where they're planting um, have big planters that block the access for for cars. Right. That means that it's, it's only for pedestrians and cyclists and, and whatever micro mobility. Um, you can you can find these days, and um, you know there, there has actually been. It's interesting about you know the you said about the kind of frustration that people are saying why can't people park in 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 the garages? That here we actually there has been a backlash to to creating these environments and pushing them the streets without not that are not for cars uh, towards people and people with cars have actually. Said we don't want this. We we don't have anywhere to park. We can't get through, um, and it's sort of potentially causing problems. You know, this is a something that was really much was really needed for for people to encourage walking and cycling, and was part of the transport for London's plan anyway. Mm. But um, it's interesting. There's a backlash towards where you're focusing on walking and cycling, where people who have cars and are so used to using it are starting to find that the city's Sort of planning authorities are starting to go against that way of thinking, where for years and for decades they've been focused on the car. But now we're starting to focus on the human and hopefully on active travel. We are starting to get a bit of pushback on it, which means that there, there is progression happening, there's things happening. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a, you know, it's a long, long struggle to try and get more of these streets in, in that way and hopefully get the behaviours to, to follow which is difficult. Yeah, that was uh, so strange in the beginning of uh, COVID mm -hmm. that uh, there were, uh, the streets were empty without uh, cars or less cars and that you could see how strange it was that two-thirds of the street space, uh, mm. space was uh, used for cars. Eh? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, suddenly you see all this wasted asphalt uh, <laughs> that's a yeah. very good. That's a very good play. It's a very like uh, sort of very. You're suddenly realizing the sheer yeah. space that we allocate to cars uh, and even parked cars, um, yeah. ones that aren't even moving. Uh, it's very interesting when we start to. It's so much space that we have available in the city when we start to question if we really do need to have personal cars. And so, of course, this pandemic is a big shock for society and for us and for our, our lives. But these shocks sometimes generate a, a new beginning. And like you said, with the Spanish flu. So let's hope that something good comes out.
can I ask you, Renata and Michiel and Grant, but starting with Renata and Michiel, what are your sort of hopes and plans for 2021 as a company? Say that again. We missed it. Uh, was that because there was a mo- uh, was that because yeah, there was a motorbike? <laughs> the irony. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was I was saying that this being this being the beginning of January, Renata and Michiel, what are your hopes and aspirations for Soundtrack City in the year ahead, please? We hope to get a, a bigger impact also with the planning department and yeah, with the politicians to finally do example projects and to test our methodologies uh, in the field, which we already did with uh, crowdsourcing Mesa plan, but mm-hmm. now with a real outcome. Same question to you, Grant, with Tranquil Cities. What can we expect from you in the year 2021? We've just finished our thinking about what we want to do and planning. So it's a good time to ask that question. We're prioritizing the work that we've been doing in London in trying to get this data and the information out to as many people in London as possible to make healthier choices. So next few weeks, we'll be creating a map and sharing that with the public around the most tranquil sort of space in their local area. So per wards in, in London, which is um, something where people can on their doorstep, hopefully find a bit of a space to take a breather, um, which is very much needed. We're also looking at how we can integrate our data into sort of apps that we use every day, as you were saying, like routing apps or lifestyle apps, just so then we start to, everyone gets a bit more familiar with with looking at terminology and like the weather, I guess, how's the environment outside, how's the environment where you are and what change can you make? And then we're also looking at how we can expand our data out worldwide to other cities uh, and that's part of our long-term plan where we just want to ensure that everyone has the as good, robust and and understandable information on their environmental quality that can help inform uh, healthier choices. Grant, I'm looking on your website and there's bits about the work that you've done. And one of the things that took my eye was an area called Selfridges Wellbeing Events. Selfridges, of course, being one of the nation's best loved department stores in the UK. And it says that you created a series of tranquil walks as part of Selfridge & Co's Wellbeing Week. Yeah, so they approached us and um, said they've seen what we've been doing. Um, and they were starting to uh, have well-being weeks or well-being Wednesdays, I think it was, uh, for their staff. And we went to speak initially uh, at one of those well-being Wednesdays, which is lovely to sort of meet quite a few of the staff members. And what came out the back of that was we said, oh, let's create a couple of walks around the nearby the sort of flagship store in Oxford Street. Um, how many of you guys really know the environment? Uh, that surrounds it and how can you escape it and maybe take a bit of a break, encourage walking meetings, encouraging people to walk from the station to work and, and also be conscious of the environments that they're, that they're experiencing and how they affect them. So we work with our environmental psychologist, Ellie Ratcliffe, who's at the University of Surrey, uh, to ask questions initially before people went out on the walks, how they felt, um, what was their mood, how energetic or how inspired do they feel? And then asked them after we took on on a tranquil walk through lots of different green spaces that are in the locality. That was, we did quite a few rounds of that. So we we got uh, a number of people with their staff involved. Again, they say, I didn't even know about these spaces um, existed on the doorstep of the office, even though I've been working here for a number of years. The benefit of trying to encourage these walks is that people, it's about connecting with the environment and and making, ensuring that we're, 
we're conscious of it and the surprises that we find when we we open our eyes and our ears a bit. Have you found the same in Amsterdam, Michiel and Renata, that people have suddenly, albeit with their ears, seeing their city in a whole new way? Yeah, absolutely. Last year we produced a sort of listening guide for a specific park in Amsterdam. So with sort of scores how to to listen to the to the birds or to the park or to the incoming city noises. And this was very there was really an ear opener and people are now using the park in another way. And people were really enthusiastic, so we are doing another <laughs> yeah, for another park. Guide for another park. Good for you. Yeah. That's very nice, yeah. It's been wonderful listening to all of you today. I'm sure we've inspired a few of our listeners to walk and listen to their cities in new and exciting ways. Thank you very much for taking the time to join us on the show, Michiel, Renata and Grant. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having me. Loved it. My thanks to Michiel, Renata and Grant for being such fantastic guests for our first show of the new year. I hope that they might have inspired you to try some sound walking for yourself. And as it happens, I'm doing that right now with my dog Romeo. We've come up to Wormwood Scrubs. There he is barking in the distance. We've come up to Wormwood Scrubs fields to get some exercise during lockdown. And I've been listening to the sounds all the way here from my house to this point, which is about 2k away. Of course, social distancing all the way. And I'm in this open space where there's hardly anyone around. Wormwood Scrubs Fields is a huge open space in West London. It's near Westfield and it backs on from the Hammersmith Hospital and the Wormwood Scrubs Prison. And in the distance, albeit I'm in West London, I can see the Shard. I can see the Gherkin, the London Eye. I can see right across London and hear the sounds that the city is generating during this quieter time of lockdown. On the south side of the scrubs, there's the A40. And on the north side, we have a depot where the Great Western Railway trains are stored overnight. There's cranes in almost every corner of this huge open space where construction would normally be taking place but doesn't seem to be doing so during lockdown although I have heard the occasional hammering against metal coming from one of the buildings which is right next to the Hammersmith Hospital looks like there's a new wing being built there there's people training outside Linford Christie Stadium not able to use uh, indoor gyms people are taking to the outdoor gyms and I can hear birds and all sorts of nature as I walk deeper into this open plain. There's some dog walkers in the distance as well. Since lockdown began in March last year, I've gone for a walk or a cycle ride for at least about an hour before I start my day's work. And doing so, not every time, but occasionally, without a device, no headphones, but just walking freely with my dog, listening to nature, it really has been fantastic for my mental health and my well-being. And it's also helped me to take stock and think about the order of things in my life. I do find that rather than just going from bed to desk and taking time to do a sound walk in between, I'm more productive, more creative, feeling happier and feeling healthier. I genuinely recommend it. 
An app that I have used on some of my walks is an app called Hush City. And I'm going to be speaking to its inventor, Dr. Antonella Radici, in a future episode of the podcast. I recommend it. You push a button, it tells you the decibels of the area that you're in, and then it invites you to fill in a questionnaire, answering questions about what you thought of the soundscape and to give comments. And then you take a photograph of where you are, and the sound recording and the photograph become part of a global map which is showing you sounds across the city, both good and bad. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast. We've got some amazing guests in the pipeline for the future, including Matthew Herbert, a composer who works on dramas for the BBC, amongst other things. He has organised this year's Sound of the Year Awards. 2020, of course, being filled with amazing sounds, the sounds of people clapping on their doorsteps for the NHS heroes, and also the increased volume of birdsong. So I'm looking forward to talking to Matthew about that. But the subject of this show was sound walking. And one of the aspects of the conversation that I really enjoyed with Grant, Michiel and Renata was their endeavour not only to get us to listen to the urban environment that surrounds us, but also to gather data and information that can be used to transform the design of a city. It was really interesting hearing about that square where money had been spent but no one was using it because it didn't sound good. In February last year, QuietMark launched its Acoustics Academy, a free-to-use online platform and directory of verified acoustic products for the building sector. Manufacturers have been guests on previous episodes of the show, such as Armacoat, Basra Acoustic, Sangaban Ecophon, and Enfield Speciality Doors. When you visit AcousticsAcademy.com, the user is invited to select a building category. That might be residential or civic or education. But there's also an area called Open Spaces, which includes parks, squares, streets and gardens, each one listing products to improve the acoustics of these open spaces. Thanks again for tuning in to this, our first episode of 2021. We'd like to wish all our Quiet Mark podcast listeners a happy 2021. We look forward to you joining us for future shows. Bye bye.